edition of Nitro. Following Nitro here on TNT, it is the NBA. But tonight, the WCW World Heavyweight title on the line, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, defending against the Giant. Mongo, how do you see it? Well, I think Ric Flair has made a mistake tonight, my friends. The Giant, the last time they met, splattered him. I'm looking for the same thing tonight. How about it, Heenan? Well, I'm going to have to agree with you. You know, Ric Flair's had a very tough career. He's had some very tough matches. This giant is bigger, he's faster, he's younger, and he is hungry. We are going to see it here tonight, unprecedented. The giant going after the Nature Boys heavyweight title. Also, the world tag team titles on the line. Sting, Luger, just how tight are they going into slabbery, taking on Harlem Heat. You're not going to want to miss that one. And what about the, it's taking place out of the parking lot. Look at the, the Lord Regal and the Belfast Bruiser. If you were watching last time these guys met, I mean, it looked like a, a watermelon hitting the street and exploding. This thing could go in the bathrooms, in the concession stands, and I promise you, it'll go out in the street if these guys get to go at it all night. Let's get down to the ring. The Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our week-by-week -week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host as always, Tim Root, and with me as ever is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorb. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. I'm excited for this world title match that actually has hype before it. That's kind of unprecedented. He meant Bischoff mentions unprecedented, and that's what I think he was talking about. That could be. The title is indeed on the line tonight, as are the tag team titles. Uh, Sting and Lex Luger putting them up against Harlem Heat. It is, of course, April 29th, 1996, and we are coming to you not live, but taped from the Albany Civic Center in Albany, Georgia, right where we left you last week. Uh, this was taped right after the show last week. Uh, so everybody's just kind of gone in the back, change their clothes, and come back out. We've seen that before on Nitro. Uh, they, you know, it's you usually can't tell too much. I don't think it's. I don't notice mm -hmm. a, a big change in the quality or the tone of the show when it's not live to you. Nope. I mean, the only time you could tell previously is when uh, Lex Luger didn't know how to change clothes. Right. <laughs> That's right. But uh, as I think we'll mention a few times during this episode, this is a very hot crowd. Yes, and I'm impressed given the fact that they've already sat through an entire Nitro. Yeah, exactly. And and that always makes for a better show when the crowd's like really into it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like good matches going on. It, and it, I just thought it was really funny. We mentioned it last week that uh, that Eric Bischoff was just like really drilling as far as like how their show is live. Right. And then they proceed to like literally like 10 minutes later record an episode. Yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on because they took a week off uh, and then they recorded two at once. I don't know if they're just trying to give everyone a little bit of a break here in spring. Uh, as we mentioned, or as Bischoff mentioned rather, uh, this is airing an hour earlier mm -hmm. uh, to account for the NBA playoffs taking place right now on TNT. Uh, so the schedule is thrown off a bit. Things are kind of weird, and they will be for the next few weeks uh, because Nitro is going to be starting at the 7 p.m. time for at least the next two weeks. Uh, I forget if it goes beyond that, but we'll see it for a little bit anyway. Uh, but before we go too much into delving into today's show, I do want to remind you that you can find us at Facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. You can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Uh, you can't find us on Instagram. 
Like, what am I going to put on Instagram? (laughs) New pictures of WCW? It's already already out there. Uh, But you can listen to us in the OSW podcast section of piledriverwrestling.net. And, of course, as always, you can find us on the Freakin' Awesome Network (laughs) at freakinawesomenetwork.net. With all that out of the way, let's get into today's show. As we start off, uh, Bischoff, as I mentioned, he he talks about the NBA thing. And while he does it, he mimes actually dribbling and shooting a basketball, which makes him look like a huge goddamn dork. <laughs> right. I did make a note of that, that uh, his pantomiming is, is amazing. Oh, shit. My dog is running into the table. She's wrapped up in cords. Go upstairs. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, you. This is what happens when we're as live as live can get. <laughs> yeah, we don't pre-tape these ahead of time. Well, I mean, no, we literally do. <laughs> That's the only thing we do. We, we have yet to do a live podcast <laughs> episode. Uh, Flair is going to be defending his belt against the Giant. Pepe this week is wearing a Batman hat, which is uh, timely as this will be a few weeks old news by the time that this airs. But currently, Batman versus Robin is stinking up movie screens across the country. Batman versus Superman. Yeah, Batman versus Robin. I'd rather see that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, Batman versus Superman. Fuck um, that movie. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was really interesting at the beginning when Bischoff uh, asks Mongo what, who he feels is going to win. Uh, not only does he have the impression that the giant, uh, it's going to be his day, but Bobby Heenan agreed with him. Yeah. Which is really unusual because Bobby Heenan, no matter what, is always thinks that Ric Flair has a plan. But this time he seems that he, he thinks that... Uh, th- the giant has his number. I, I have a theory on why Bobby says that, and try to remind me to get to that at the end of the show. I, okay. If I said now, it would be too much of a spoiler. Sure. Uh, Bischoff, as you mentioned earlier, he says that this title match is unprecedented, uh, but I wouldn't exactly call it that, seeing as uh, last month, on March 25th, right. Ric Flair defended his world championship <laughs> against the giant in the main event of Monday Nitro. That's uh, Seeing as it's the same championship and the same competitors on the same show, I'd kind of consider that precedent. <laughs> this is a very precedented title match. <laughs> uh, he also, as I mentioned, said that Sting and Luger are going to defend their belts against Harlem Heat. We're going to see a parking lot brawl between Lord Steven Regal and the Belfast Bruiser. Uh, Mongo says that their previous fight resembled a watermelon exploding on the street. <laughs> before saying that the match could go into bathrooms and concession stands, and if it goes on long enough, we'll go out into the street. It's already in the fucking parking lot. Right. It's much more likely to go into the street and almost guaranteed not to go into any bathrooms or concession stands. <laughs> right. They'd have to leave the parking lot, go into the arena yeah. to find a concession stand and or bathroom. Yeah, it, pretty much it seems like he's trying to describe a parking lot brawl, but is describing a regular street fight. <laughs> Which, as we know in wrestling, a street fight is like not on a street. It's inside an arena. It makes me think that maybe the commentary for that part was done at a later time and he hadn't seen the match yet, so he didn't quite know what to visualize. Right. Because no, it's not I like can... they go outside and watch the match. You know, yeah. they're just doing it via monitor or whatever. So uh, out comes Harlem Heat to start the show as Bischoff plugs Fire and Ice, a new tag team that we're going to be seeing against the Steiner brothers later in the show. Uh, after the Harlem Heat comes out, Sting and Lex Luger enter. And this is the match that was promised to Booker T uh, for helping Sting retain the uh, titles against the Road Warriors, the Chicago Street Fight back at Uncensored. Sure. Uh, so he did that, you know, in exchange for a title shot that Sting promised him. They actually had... Uh, this match earlier on Saturday night, mm-hmm. but Jimmy Hart uh, went down and unbeknownst to the referee threw in the towel, uh, which the referee, despite Harlem Heat not having a manager, the referee was like, oh, I, I guess they give up. 
and called the match. Oh, okay. Cause yeah, it, that, they'll allude to that later in this match. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't get it because <laughs> I was like, how did he throw in the towel previously and Lex Luger didn't lose the title? Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, it was really confusing because they didn't elaborate on that. Yeah, somehow Lex Luger's old manager, because he's not Lex's manager anymore, at least he's not supposed to be. Yeah, I think as like a fan, I kind of feel like he still is. So. <laughs> he, yeah, he snuck down and threw in the towel, and somehow Harlem Heat lost. The, I, uh, WCW, you know, the right, referees yeah. are shockingly terrible. <laughs> right. That's you know, at, at least it's established within the continuity of WCW that their referees don't know what the fuck is going on at any given moment. No, exactly. Saying the referees are terrible is just like saying that the sky is blue, pretty much. Uh, Mongo still doesn't trust Luger, but Bischoff is once again defending him as a oh, at deep down as a good guy. You know, he he kind of did this recently where he spent months writing down Luger, and now for the past two weeks he's been like, you know, down where it counts, say what you want. I I think that Luger is really trustworthy. Right. <laughs> anyway, here to call all of the in ring action for this match is our own Dave Amantorp. All right. Well, it I I. I think it was really nice to watch. Uh, in general, it's nice to watch old school wrestling that still believe that the champion should enter last. Yes. Um, it just it seems like it should be a championship like honor, uh, something that they get like they don't they shouldn't be standing in the ring waiting for their opponents. It Absolutely. should be the other way around. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, when Harlem Heat came out, I thought it was really nice that they showed the fans at ringside are waving their hands like uh, Public Enemy, except it's Harlem Heat. There's yeah, I noticed that too. It's like. It's like eight people right in front of the camera, and it, I don't know, the way that the shot is framed makes me wonder if the cameraman was doing it to, like, get those people to do it, because <laughs> right. no one to the side of that little group of people are doing it. Sure. It's, like, just the people immediately in front of the uh, camera. Right. Okay. Either way, I was like, nope, that's not the right thing. <laughs> um, comes Sting and Lex Luger, who get, like, a huge ovation, which... Which is my first indication that this is going to be a pretty hot crowd, and is also like it's a, it's a it's a good surprise, uh, considering this is a taping. So you kind of expect the second episode maybe a little bit down, but they these fans seem like they're ready for more action. Yeah. Uh, the bell rings as Nick Patrick is having trouble uh, getting the teams to decide who will start off the bout. Also, you get kind of a close up of Sting, and his hair is like this really weird, gross thing that's going on. I can't really describe it. Yeah, he's letting the bleach blonde. He's letting that go, so his natural darker blonde is growing out. Mm-hmm. But there's like just a little bit of beach bleach bond still at the tips yeah. that's grown out, and he should just have it cut shorter. But uh, he, for whatever reason, isn't, and it looks really looks very 1990s. Which yeah. is, I mean, hey, you know what? It is the 90s, so <laughs> right. fair fair play, I guess. <laughs> uh, there's some jive back and forth between the teams before we are left with Booker T and Sting to start off, which is. Probably the combination I would hope for. Absolutely. Um, we begin with a classic collar and elbow tie-up, which Sting breaks before executing a woo. A second collar and elbow tie-up goes to Booker T's advantage as he turns it into a standing wrist lock. Sting counters for a wrist lock of his own, but Booker T reverses that and takes a stinger down with a back heel kick. When Sting returns to his feet, Booker T sends him into the rope, misses a clothesline, misses a second clothesline, and is turned inside out by a Sting shoulder block. At this point, we get some like world class selling for Booker T as he looks shocked, like he just saw a ghost. <laughs> uh, as Sting picks him back up, slams him, and then comes off the ropes for a huge elbow drop. And by by huge, I mean he got lots of air on it. Um, at that point, we get a cover, but only a one count for Sting. Sting then tags in Lex Luger, and together they hit Booker T with dual back elbows. But a cover by Luger again only gets a one count. 
Luger picks Booker T back up, who sneaks in an eye rake to gain the advantage. At that point, Booker T tags in Stevie Ray. And now we've gone yep. from Sting and Booker T, hooray, yes. to Stevie Ray and Luger. Boo. Boo. <laughs> uh, Booker T holds out Luger for a uh, Stevie Ray reverse kick, followed by pummeling the total package to the mat with forearm smashes. Stevie Ray sends Luger into an unoccupied por- corner, but misses the connection on a running forearm. Luger seizes opportunity and unloads with kicks and punches. At this point, Lex Luger flexes for the crowd as the announcers ponder the sanity of Macho Man Randy Savage, which they go on for quite a long time, as, and they they keep bringing up the scenario that at Slamboree, he's going to be brought to the arena in handcuffs. Right. And <laughs> which wh- would actually be a decent gimmick, like a Hannibal Lecter kind of thing, like they yeah. unleash him upon his opponent. Right, but this like when they're just like theorizing it, it just sounds really weird. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Sting is tagged back in, and together they hit D- Stevie Ray with a double clothesline, but a cover does not even register a count, as Harlem Heat does not fuck around when it comes to kicking out. <laughs> Sting is indecisive about using an arm bar or a wrist lock, so Stevie Ray helps him make up his mind by raking him in the eyes. A tag into Booker T, and he gets Sting into a headlock, but Sting pushes him into the ropes. Booker T knocks Sting down with a shoulder block, comes off the ropes again, and gets leapfrogged before getting drop kicked. Sting tags in Lex Luger, who continues the assault on Stevie Ray as we head to a commercial break. When we return from the break, Booker T has Sting on their mat, and he goes for an elbow drop but misses. However, he does what is now best known as a spinner-rooney before hitting a jump wheel kick. Um, At this point, I wanted to make a a note that, again, Booker T is, like, one of the best athletes in the ring at this time. Um, And because he he looks considerably bigger than Sting or Mm -hmm. Luger. And the fact that he can move so quickly like that is just remarkable. Yeah, his kicks are incredible. Um, but the flexibility s- is nuts. Yeah, yeah. And this, the spin rooting and the jump wheel kick, he does it so quickly. It, it doesn't it doesn't look awkward or anything like that. It's just amazing. Um, and so amazing that instead of going for a cover, Booker T decides to go to the second rope and taunt the fans. <laughs> which provi- proves to be a mistake as a subsequent pin attempt only gets a two count. And both Mongo and uh, Heenan were basically shouting at Booker T for wasting this opportunity. Yep. Uh, but Bischoff, at this moment, uh, <laughs> I just have noted here, he calls Sting and Luger one of the most dynamic and prolific tag teams in history of the sport. Right. <laughs> yeah. Prolific. Like, right. they've wrestled, what, maybe 20 matches as a team? Like, that's <laughs> one of the most prolific in the history of the sport. Yeah. That is... Shivani level exaggeration <laughs> right. right there. Oh uh, yeah. So after the two count, Booker T uh, tags in Stevie Ray, who hits Sting with a scissor kick. After landing kind of awkwardly and kind of on Sting, he eventually covers him for another two count. Undeterred, Stevie Ray corners Sting and unloads of punches, much to the dismay of the crowd. Stevie Ray gets Sting into a reverse chin lock, but the Stinger uh, starts to get a second win, or stinging up, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, Booker T gets tagged in, um, but him and Sting hit each other with a double clothesline as we reach gut check time. It's Sting that gets a tag first, and Luger runs in with clotheslines. Clotheslines for everyone! Sting enters the ring again, but Stevie Ray is quick to dispatch him. Together, Harlem Heat hit Lex Luger with a powerbomb elbow drop combo that looked like it could have been disastrous. Yeah. (laughs) At this point, Jimmy Hart makes his way to the ring and throws in a white towel. Only Booker T catches it 
and the announcers seem to indicate that since he caught it, it doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird because the referee this time, uh, Nick Patrick, I believe, yes, clearly sees that it's Jimmy Hart who throws the towel. Yeah, and he knows, presumably, that Jimmy Hart does not represent Harlem Heat yeah. in any capacity. Right. So the technicality of the towel not hitting the ground should be irrelevant because <laughs> right. Jimmy Hart has no right to forfeit the match. Otherwise, why wouldn't guys just come throw towels all the time yeah. in matches yeah. if anyone could quit a match for anyone else? Right. No, they were. it's like they were trying to explain something that was like, no, it doesn't need an explanation. Yeah. The referee was doing the right thing. Right. It, it would if it's baffling. It's yeah. it's really no one thought this through at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Stevie Ray is at ringside, and he grabs Jimmy Hart, and he throws him into the ring. And Booker T is about to hit Jimmy Hart, but Sting schoolboys Booker T out of nowhere for uh, for the win, even though Booker T, when he was trying to act like he can't, he was trying to kick out, his shoulders clearly got off the mat. Not only his entire body his comes entire off body. the mat. Yeah. There's like a – you can see daylight between him <laughs> and the mat. Right. And yet they still count the three. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Uh, but it also uh, it also continues the tradition of Harlem Heat being heels that are constantly fucked over in their matches. <laughs> right. Like not only did Jimmy Hart come and try to screw him out of it with the towel sh- bullshit. Mm-hmm. Not only did the the faces win on the distraction of Jimmy Hart being thrown into the ring. Yeah. When he's not even the it's not like he's the heel manager and he's getting his just desserts. He's out there to help the baby faces because he still likes Lex Luger. Right. Uh. So not it's just Harlem Heat. They barely cheat. I like. I think the the eye rake was the one sketchy moment they had the entire match, mm-hmm. and yet they get screwed over, and we're supposed to be happy about it because again they're like angry black dudes. That's the only reason they're heels. It's insane. Right. Yeah. And before this match, I I was thinking, how come when Harlem Heat shows up on Nitro, they just get tile matches. Maybe it's because this happens to them all the time. Every time. They've <laughs> never just been pinned cleanly in a title match. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess you're keeping them strong, and that's good. But at this point, I just I don't get how they're heels. Like, yeah. if, if people are generally following the rules and always getting screwed, that's a baby face. That's, like, that's what a baby face is. Yeah. But anyway, after this match ends, uh, the announcers pretty much act like there was an acceptable finish as we head to a commercial break. Um, I thought it was a okay match. It wasn't anything really remarkable. Um, I I noticed that the fans still are not like they're not hundred percent behind on Luger being uh, like a good guy. Yeah. Um, because they were either like indecisive or kind of even booing when he came into the ring. Um, but again, it was just you know you just get these little snippets of Booker T and you realize that he has a lot of potential, but you know he's just kind of being weighed down by Stevie Ray. <laughs> Yeah, although, and I agree with that, but I don't think Stevie Ray is outright bad. Like, he's fine in this match. Um, you know, he's he's a big powerhouse guy, and he, he's he's good for what he... Like, I wouldn't want to see a Stevie Ray singles run, but he's an acceptable partner for Booker T. You know, he's he's a good yeah. Marty Jannetty to Booker's Shawn Michaels. Like, <laughs> you, you need... That's fine. Yeah. No, it's just... No, and I, I think um, as time went on, I kind of, like, always imagined that Stevie Ray was really awful. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's, like, com- he's generally competent. Sometimes he gets, like, finishes all mixed up. Yeah. Um, But Booker T just has, like, so much potential. Yes. That, that he shouldn't be even in a tag team. He should be doing singles. But uh, other than that, and also this finish is just 
goofy and like I I don't I don't care for it. You know I um other than maybe because we were talking about angry black dudes I don't know why this popped into my head, uh but there is a storyline that was introduced and and went on a couple nitros that we never resolved because it hasn't come up on nitro since then. Mm-hmm. So I'll just mention it here in case anyone feels like they were left hanging by that storyline. Okay. Uh, you remember Sergeant Craig Pittman when he was coming out looking for a manager? Oh yeah yeah. Uh, eventually on the B shows he hooked up with uh, Theodore Long. Oh, okay. So he does have a manager now. Sure. Uh, I don't know if that will ever come up on Nitro, but it just occurred to me that I knew that and we've never talked about it on the show. Okay. So uh, Nitro dangling thread mm-hmm. tied up. After the commercial, it's time for uh, the aforementioned Fire and Ice versus the Steiner Brothers. Fire and Ice, of course, are the pairing of Ice Train and Scott Norton. Ice Train, uh, this is his Nitro debut, not his WCW debut. He is Harold Hoag, a <laughs> former bodybuilder trained by WCW stars Buddy Lee Parker and Paul Orndorff. He originally debuted for the organization in the summer of 1993, and after a brief push, which included him teaming up with the infamous Shockmaster at Halloween Havoc 93, nice. uh, he, he vanished in early 1994 and remained off television all through the rest of 94, all of 1995, before resurfacing in February of 1996 when he showed up in an episode of Saturday Night to take on Scott Norton. After a big double clothesline spot where both men failed to make the referee's 10 count leading to a double countout, the two men shook hands and agreed to form a tag team dubbed Fire and Ice. Uh, For those of you who aren't familiar with Ice Train, I know we've talked about the fact that Scott Norton is a big barrel of a guy. Mm -hmm. Ice Train is essentially the younger happier black version yes <laughs> like he, he smiles and he's a little more personable than scott norton but he mm. is also a fire hydrant of a human being yes these guys have been dominating jobber tag teams on the b and c shows ever since and they it has been announced that they were quote lucky enough uh to be randomly uh, another quote right. uh, put together in the upcoming lethal lottery so these guys are already a tag team and they were lucky enough to be randomly drawn together in the big tag team pay-per-view event coming up at Slammery. And just like the Steiner brothers were randomly paired off against each other. Right, just like the Steiners, uh, the Road Warriors, and Ric Flair and Arn Anderson were all randomly paired to fight each other. Right. <laughs> uh, another interesting note is that Scott Norton worked quite a bit with the Steiners in Japan in the early 90s. Okay. Uh, usually as an opponent, though he did one time replace an injured Scott Steiner to help Rick defend the Steiner brothers' IWGP tag team titles, uh, though Norton and Rick Steiner were unsuccessful in that title defense. So he is he has not only faced them, he's also sort of been a part of their team and lost the championship that they had that he technically never held himself. Okay. So you're saying there's bad blood there. Yes. <laughs> uh, lastly, uh, I have not not mentioned the Kevin Sullivan podcast in a while. Uh-oh. Uh, I've kind of been in and out of listening to it because it's, at times unlistenable he'll like take phone calls during the show and go off on tangents about the red Sox or say things that are blatantly false right whereas i can take things that he just misremembers or whatever but uh uh, but this was i i thought this was an interesting fact with this match uh it's kind of there to get these guys on tv because uh new japan they love scott norton and they want him featured more but they don't want him losing which is tough because bischoff according to kevin sullivan bischoff hates scott norton um, doesn't really know why, but he just hates him. It's ridiculous. And Ice Train is going to be on loan to European promoter Otto Wentz, uh, who is going to have Ice Train come tour Germany 
in order to help build interest for the German language Nitro broadcasts that we've actually mentioned previously on the show. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of why they're getting paired together and getting a little bit of being featured. It's to uh, help these upcoming promotions in international markets. Okay. Uh, but here to call all of the in-ring action of Fire and Ice versus the Snyder Brothers once again, Dave Amantorp. Dave. All right. Back to you. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I don't I don't really remember a whole lot about Ice Train, so when this match came up, I thought it would be it's a fun to get an idea of who he is. I'd heard the name, mm-hmm. but I'd always assumed I knew it was a I knew he's a black dude, but I always thought he would be like like a Stevie Ray, like an angry or like maybe co- Ice Train. You'd think cold, yeah. But he he's like bubbly and happy, and he's just like, hey, I'm Ice Train. How's it going? Let's yeah. have a match. Yeah, so he he coming down to the ring is very smiley, uh, especially in comparison to Scott Norton's stoic demeanor. Um, you could you could tell that the two kind of have like a chemistry because they're like doing high fives with each other and stuff like that, showing camaraderie. Um, and uh, Ice Train, you could tell he's an, his at least part of his name because it says Ice right across his chest. <laughs> yes, uh, it really it should be like fire and bubbles. Right, <laughs> fiery bubbles. Eric Bischoff says fire and ice are three feet thick and six feet in diameter, which is essentially the same thing. (laughs) Uh, This match doesn't have the previous bouts delay as we begin immediately with Ice Train and Rick Steiner. Rick starts his offense by barking and jogging around the ring, which seems to have no effect on Mr. Train. (laughs) We get, you can guess it, a classic colonable tie-up to start as the two men jockey for position uh, as we reach the corner. Referee Rania Anderson orders him to break. Collar Neville tie-up number two turns quickly into a headlock by Rick Steiner. Ice Train sends him off the ropes, but is knocked down to the mat by a shoulder block. Rick comes off the ropes again, and Ice Train leapfrogs him very impressively before hitting a scoop slam. You can tell right away that Ice Train has strength, but he has a, a little bit of uh, athleticism in there, too. Yes. Yeah, uh, I don't, you know, as we mentioned, I've never seen him before. Um, but in the Wrestling Observer, Meltzer notes that he looked much improved over his earlier stint. So, okay. uh, you know, in that time, I don't know if he's been doing house shows or just down at the power plant, but it's it sounds like he's been working hard and that this is uh, in leaps and bounds over what he was uh, when he first premiered back in 93. Okay. Um, after the scoop slam, Ice Train sends Rick uh, Steiner into the corner and hits a splash. And at this point, I noticed that Rick Steiner is either selling really well or he's hurt or something like that. That happened during the spinning slam. Um, I think you can tell later. I think he got the wind knocked out of him, and he's kind of like reeling mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another whip into the corner, but Rick dodges a splash and hits a release belly to back suplex on the big man, which is also very impressive. Uh, at this point, Rick tags in his brother Scott, and it does this. At this point, it's clear that Rick is sucking wind because he tries to bark and he's having trouble barking. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Ice Train tags in Scott Norton, and here's like the real competition of Scott Norton and Scott Steiner power. Yeah, oh man. Um, Scott Norton, oh boy, okay. I might have to correct myself a few times since they're both named Scott. (laughs) So Scott Steiner kicks him in the gut, which I don't know if that hurts him very much because of his giant barrel gut, uh, but gets in the headlock. But Norton whips him into the ropes, and a shoulder-to-shoulder collision knocks neither man down. And instead, they start yelling at each other. 
Uh, Norton yells something that Scott Snyder finds offensive, so he responds with a kick and a quick exploder suplex, which, again, it's just he's just hurling a giant man over his shoulder like it's no big deal. It's a, it's very impressive. <laughs> yeah. uh, Scott Snyder whips Scott Norton into the ropes, grabs him, and hits a great belly-to-belly suplex. The move sends Norton rolling out of the ring, but the younger of the Steiners is quick to uh, get him and toss him back into the ring. Scott Steiner leaps off the top rope, but Scott Norton catches him and press slams Steiner seemingly without much trouble. <laughs> oh, my God. Scott Norton floors Scott Steiner with a couple of clotheslines, but the third attempt is countered into a slingshot and onto the top rope. Down goes Norton. Scott Steiner tags in Rick Steiner, who tries to get the advantage, but is sent flying through the air with a shoulder block. Uh, Scott Norton hits Rick Steiner with the shoulder block, and he, like, spins in the air. Yeah, it's, yep. It, it's awesome. Yeah, he turns him inside out with it. Uh, Scott Norton tags in Ice Train, who seems determined determined to decapitate his opponent with clotheslines <laughs> as he puts a lot of power behind the clotheslines. Uh, Ice Train then hip-tosses Rick uh, Steiner as we get the coughing-up-the-ribcage line from Eric Bischoff, who needs to try and stop making that a thing. Scott Snyder comes in and is also murdered by a Sc- Ice Train clothesline, and soon all four men are in the ring. Ice Train kills Scott Snyder again with a big boot before hitting an impressive press slam. While Rick and Norton, Rick Steiner and Scott Norton <laughs> fight outside the ring, Scott Steiner tries for a double underhook suplex, but Scott Norton uh, clotheslines Scott Steiner out of the ring. At this point, Rick Steiner hits Ice Train with a clothesline and very suddenly gets a three count. Yeah, it comes kind of out of nowhere, you're right. Um, so this this was a very a short match, but it was really enjoyable. I really liked the. Obviously, all four men were determined like we're going to impress each other with like our strength, and they were hitting each other like as hard as they want to. I feel like that there was a lot of like pretty earnest jaw jacking. Yeah. As far as like trying to one up each other, um, so even though it was a short match and not very technically savvy, there was it was it was entertaining for all the strength that was involved. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more, and I don't know if it's a case where uh, I liked it, so I feel like they weren't given enough time, or if it's if they were given more time, maybe I w- would have started to not like it. You sure, know, like yeah. it might have given them some opportunities to start screwing up or running out of things to do and just hitting belly to belly after belly to belly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I loved the match uh, for what it was. It's um, some of the more impressive displays of strength that we've seen on nitro for mm. sure yeah and my and my impression of ice train is that he d- he's very strong he has a, a level of athleticism but he is really stiff <laughs> fire nice definitely left me wanting more i was interested in their team and i hope they yeah. show up on nitro more you know I, I would like to see them uh in involved in more matches for sure for sure dave for sure <laughs> Uh, after that, we get a commercial, and when we come back, Mean Gene Okerlund interviews Ric Flair alongside Woman and Liz in the aisle, and let's go to an audio clip of that very promo. We are back on TNT and WCW Monday Nitro. They are literally hanging from the rafters here tonight, getting ready to welcome the WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Ric Flair.
So as you can hear, Ric Flair is not at all worried about the Giant, barely concerned about uh, <laughs> taking on the biggest athlete in the world. Uh, that whole time, woman is kind of messing with Mean Gene, just stroking his face and his arm and just distracting him hilariously. Right. Liz, uh, I'll give her this. Once she starts talking, she's fine. She's not as stiff and wooden as she seems in, in other promos, mm-hmm. but at any point where she's not talking or the focus isn't on her... She has no idea what to do. Right. She just stares awkwardly into space and just looks like a weird, like an alien who is just approximating human. It, I was like, just, <laughs> I, I was marveling at how awkward she was. And then when they're like, and then he starts addressing her like, Liz, you know, uh, is the giant up to the challenge or whatever. Yeah. And then she's fine. She actually like is, it's one of her better moments since we've seen her, mm-hmm. at least when it comes to live promos. Uh, but it's like a robot. Like you flipped a switch and she was like, you know, th- then she was able to emote, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got the sense it's like um, someone that's like a very inexperienced like stage actor yeah. who, who is just like, just remember your line. Just remember your line. Just right. remember your line. <laughs> right. Like if this was something that was not off the cuff, uh, if, it, if it had all been memorized, she's the kind of person. Uh, and you and I are theater majors uh, for our listeners that don't know that. Uh, so we both have stage experience. And I was one of these people uh, where if if at the time where I wasn't speaking, mm-hmm. I would accidentally mouth other people's lines, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I feel like Liz would do that. Yeah, I feel like Liz is one of us. Uh, one of us. Uh, you didn't do that. But well, I, I, I like f- like early when I was doing like acting in like high school and stuff, 
I, I definitely got the thing where it's like I you could tell maybe I wasn't like really focused on the scene because I was just thinking about what my next line right. is and not fucking it up. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I when I, when I saw like the way that she acted, but then like suddenly when she had her line, it was fine. I was like, I I could see what the story was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's all too familiar. Yeah. But but also I think like. Uh, considering they they sort of brought her in at the last moment just to kind of be for like that Clash of the Champions and they didn't really have anything else for her after that. Mm -hmm. It was really good to put her with Ric Flair because Ric Flair can make everyone look good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We then get another commercial and included in this commercial break is a little promo. uh, (laughs) And I won't say who who or what it's for. Uh Uh, We'll get there eventually. Yep. Uh, But I'll just sort of describe what happens. This sort of weird circular, well, first, first, as I recall it, the screen is just black and it says in like blue computer generated letters, our world is about to change. (laughs) It is. Then you see this like circle, blue, uh, bluish green circular computer generated, like early nineties, like shitty video game type graphics. Yeah. And it's like a medallion or something. It's got some kind of Asian engravings and then it opens up and it's like a portal uh, and we go into the portal, and there's just snow mm-hmm. falling down. It then says, blood runs cold. Then the portal closes and turns back into, like, a medallion again. Yeah. Uh, and it just says, coming to WCW. Ooh. And that's that's really all that we get. So it's an interesting. It's unlike any other uh, tease we've had. Nothing on WCW has been like that yeah. to this point. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely attention-grabbing and different. Um, in the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer guesses, and he's just guessing. He's This isn't him saying he's got backstage knowledge. He just guesses uh-huh. that it has something to do with Scott Hall or Kevin Nash, since those are well-known upcoming introductions. Yeah, I, I, st- I still really vividly remember these commercials, and, and I think you're right, because a lot of the times they just did like these pretty straight-up promos for introducing guys yeah. that was really focused on like here's a person you've seen before on at that other company now they're here <laughs> right. whereas this is what whatever it's introducing they're selling like the character and not the person that's coming in and so it's it's a, just a really different dynamic and uh and blood runs cold is so vague and like it's it it's not describing you know, it's not like he's the toughest or he's going to shake things up or like, mm-hmm. you know, the title is g- it, it's just blood runs cold. Like what it's yeah. it's very hard to interpret what that means. And I like it. It's different. It's cool. Yeah. And also just for like a point of reference, I think it was the year before when that f- when the first uh, Mortal Kombat movie came out. Ah, yes. And th- this vignette like really reminds me of some of the stuff from that. So I like my immediate thought was like it was something Mortal Kombat like like they're trying to play off of that and uh <laughs> well you're not far <laughs> off from the mark but right. we will get there it's like a good goddamn 6 months before we get there but we no, will get there we will eventually get there yeah <laughs> uh after that we get the parking lot brawl it's Lord Steven Regal versus the Belfast Bruiser and as the camera goes to the parking lot these two are already fighting <laughs> uh so let me just kind of paint a picture here it's in the parking lot outside the arena, and they've sectioned off a big area of the parking lot uh, with metal guardrails. Yep. And they have four cars, like two cars, a pickup truck, and an SUV. Mm-hmm. And they're parked all 
in like a T shape with, you know, 30 to 40 feet between them. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of room between the cars for these guys to wander around. Uh, for whatever reason, the pickup truck is painted all white and has white windshield wipers. Like, it looks really <laughs> weird and fake. I, I don't know what that's about. But the rest are just, you know, they're just normal cars. Uh, the fans are then around the guardrail on the other side. And it looks like, although you can never really get a full, clear picture of it, it looks like there's actually some kind of, like, stadium bleachers that has been erected out there. Because people are definitely sitting, and it lo- they're either sitting on a hill mm-hmm. or there's bleachers that were brought out there. I didn't I, I I didn't quite see yeah. what you were seeing, so I don't know. I, I think when you were saying earlier that this is probably recorded beforehand and maybe the, the fans before they came into the arena were, like, treated to this. Maybe except for it's, like, it's dark out. So that's the only reason. Because if they did two Nitro tapings and this was before those, like, maybe it was an intermission? I was kind of wondering that, too, mm-hmm. if it was taped afterward or between, but... I couldn't, I listened, that's why I was listening to the Sullivan podcast, I was hoping he'd say more about it. Sure. He doesn't say, like, jack shit about this match, he really doesn't say a word. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Because this is, this, this match is a spectacle. (laughs) Yeah, so, so to continue to paint the picture, uh, both wrestlers are in tights and boots, but they're also both wearing shirts, because they're going to end up on the ground, and that would be really, Mm -hmm. it'd be painful as hell if you weren't wearing a shirt. Yeah. I also like it when... When there's opp- when like a wrestler has to wear a shirt, you could tell which ones don't have their own merchandise. <laughs> yeah, Finley just has a shirt with a, a four leaf clover on it, and and uh, William Regal, I believe, just has a WCW shirt. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> neither of these poor gentlemen <laughs> have their own merch. Uh, so to start with, they're they're already just kind of brawling. Then Finley smashes Regal's head on the hood of a car. He gets some punches in before opening the car door into Regal's face. Regal leans against the car, and Finley tries to nail him with a big boot, but Regal moves, and Finley clicks clear through the window. It's definitely stunt glass. It, you know, it shatters and goes everywhere. Uh-huh. It still looks really cool. <laughs> it does look cool. It looks cool, and also sounds really cool, too. Yes, yes. I think you're right. The sound has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is that they did, but like they definitely set up, because sound-wise, it could have been awful. Uh, considering that they, the the cameras are pretty far away, yeah, and just trying to get like close ups, but you get like some really great like break like uh, glass breaking sounds and mm-hmm. like dented hoods and stuff like that. The Bruiser grabs a chunk of concrete from the ground, and Regal believably backs off before seizing a chance to get a punch in, causing Bruiser to drop the concrete. Like I don't know how to describe the spot. It's just the way he because he backs off like a considerable distance, mm-hmm. and it looks exactly what someone would do in a real fight were someone to pick up, like, a a horrible weapon, like a chunk of concrete. Yeah, like, I thought the spot worked really well because I, it gave me the impression that, like, Finley has this idea, if you don't block it, I am going to hit you with it. That's, he probably would. <laughs> right. No, but you're right. It, it played off, like, really well and really believable. Regal drags Bruiser down and rubs his face on the dropped concrete, but this allows the Bruiser to just pick it back up and start attacking Regal with it. Regal tries to escape, but is pursued by the Bruiser, who finds a spare tire in the bed of a pickup, which he then rams into Regal's abdomen several times. Bruiser runs Regal into the front of an SUV several times until the bumper comes off. He then picks it up and starts beating Regal with the bumper before scoop-slamming him under the hood of the pickup. (laughs) Mongo asks if it's a Ford, and Bobby quips that it used to be. Apparently, it got damaged so bad that it's no longer made by Ford. It retroactively is manufactured by someone else. Regal punches and kicks his way back into things until the bruiser is splayed out on the hood of a car. 
Regal climbs the car and drops a huge elbow onto the bruiser and the hood. Yeah. Looks like that's got to hurt both of them. Yeah, that, I, <laughs> that seemed like... Because I think everyone knows at this point that these are two guys that are, like, legitimately tough guys. And I, I, I feel like this was, a, this was a spot where it's like, I'm just going to hit you really hard. Yeah. And you're just going to have to deal with it. They both get up basically right away to keep brawling. And this is the major problem with this match is they're doing these crazy spots like elbows on the hood of cars and there's no selling. They're like immediately both back up and on yeah. the next spot. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the editing because this is pre-taped and they're trying to make it fit within the window that they have for Nitro. Sure. Or if that was just they had six minutes and they were like, we don't have time to lay around selling. Yeah. It's just spot to spot to spot. Mm-hmm. But considering the normal amount of selling you do for like a suplex – it makes no sense that you're getting elbowed on a hood of a car and popping back up like nothing happened. Right. They brawl to the side of a car where the bruiser grabs the seatbelt, which Bischoff calls a safety strap, which I've never <laughs> yes. heard. I don't know if that's what they say in like other states, but Bischoff spent a lot of time in Minnesota, so <laughs> right. I feel like I would have heard that. I think he's just making shit up again. I, I, I kind of feel like that's the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, he starts using it to choke Regal. Regal looks like he's legitimately suffocating as Bischoff jokes about longtime sponsor Pet Boys car parts being really into this match. <laughs> I don't know if when a guy is being choked on your television is the time to start plugging sponsors. Yeah. Uh, but I, it was kind of funny. Yeah. Also, I, I initially thought this was going to be the finish. I thought it was. Oh, gonna be, sure. I thought it was going to be kind of like this stunt. Like he's in a submission thing that he's never dealt with before and he was in a tap out. But. Nope. Steven Regal hangs on. Regal ends up against a car, and he ducks a bruiser punch. Bruiser then ends up punching the car window, but it doesn't break. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Yes. That has got to hurt. <laughs> Regal then decides to give it a shot, swinging at Finley, who's now up against the car, but this time Finley dodges, but again, the glass holds firm, and now they both have to have hand injuries. <laughs> right. It seems like that was not stunt glass, and they forgot which car was gimmicked, and this mm. is just real car window, and they're just punching it yeah. as hard as they yeah, can. And I kind of feel like that was Steven Regal be like, I'll show you how to break a car. <laughs> he also throws Bruiser into the window, uh-huh. and it doesn't break. So I think they've just <laughs> fucked up which car is gimmicked. Yeah. Or someone was supposed to get that window gimmicked and forgot to. I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> Finley gets Regal in a fireman's carry and brings him over to one of the guardrails, dropping him on it chest first. A confused Bischoff says that he dropped him on the top turnbuckle before correcting himself and saying he only wishes this match was happening in the safety of a ring. (laughs) Regal chucks Bruiser into the back of the pickup. They fight in and on the pickup a bit before brawling around as Bischoff says it's only now getting out of hand. This has been out of hand since the moment it started. I think the part where he picked up the cinder block was that it hit him in the head. <laughs> I think that was a little out of hand. Finley throws Regal into a window, which again doesn't break, and Bischoff says that if this is going to be too violent, he's going to have the camera pull back to such a wide shot that all we'll see is the skyline. <laughs> right? <laughs> and he actually, uh, I think, is really sending a message to the truck because both guys are bleeding, but you hardly can tell because they do start shooting it from very wide angles Mm -hmm. uh you see cameramen kind of in the the parking lot area they're fighting in but you stop getting any shots from those cameras because i think they're just seeing these guys bleeding too much yeah so they it's all wide shots from here on out Mm -hmm. regal shoves finley into a car and its window shatters they battle back to the pickup where finley drops an elbow onto the hood bischoff asks again for a wide shot uh again i think he's worried about blood showing up Mm -hmm. um was that the point 
when he hit that car with that glass breaking, is that when the car alarm started going off? Yes. Yep. Because I thought that was an awesome touch. It was very, very nicely done. <laughs> On the hood of a car, Regal goes for a pile driver, uh, but Bru- Bruiser back body drops him onto the roof. Mongo asks if that car is a Yugo, and Bobby replies that it used to be his exact joke from three goddamn minutes ago. <laughs> Bobby, I love you. You're amazing, <laughs> but yikes. <laughs> like, I don't know if no one laughed the first time and he, or he forgot that he told it, but... It uh, yeah, that was not a good moment for Bobby. A clear indication that the they're they're not prepared to announce this sort of thing. Right. <laughs> Still on the roof of the car, uh, Bruiser looks like he's going for a belly to back suplex or something. But Regal does the thing where he kicks backward between the legs for a low blow. Yep. Uh, and then he hits a pile driver onto the Bruiser on the roof of the car for the pinfall victory, which Nick Patrick counts by slapping the hood of the car. <laughs> yes. Regal immediately starts wandering back towards the arena, and the Bruiser no-sells being pile-driven onto a car uh-huh. by just popping up and grabbing the bumper that's on the ground and trying to go after him, but Nick Patrick stops him. <laughs> so after all that, after that brutal match, they're both just completely no-selling any lingering effects from it. Um, I, I would say in Steven Regal's defense, uh, he had a lot of blood spots on his back Yeah, when he was rolling off, so I think he was trying to like hightail out of there and get, some, get, some, the, yeah. get some of the glass out of his back. Also, he goes off to the side, and he starts doing like a pro- post-match promo to one of the cameras, but that's like a camera that they won't go back to anymore, so you can't see it. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he's got blood in his face or something, and they don't want to show it. Uh, Bobby starts freaking out, claiming that that last car that they were smashing up was his rental car. Yeah. Funny bit. Uh, seems kind of dumb that he'd been staring at it for like the past six minutes and only made the joke now, but it was kind of funny. Yeah. 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 Uh, I thought the match, despite the lack of selling, um, for what it was, it was kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. It was definitely unique. Um, you know, like we were saying with the Glacier promo, nothing like that has been on WCW at all. Um, and I can't think of anything to that point in my memory in WWF that had really been like that, except for the awful Goldust Piper Hollywood backlot brawl oh, that had sure. been on like what that would have been a month ago at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and that match sucks. Like, yeah. So and and that was all stuntmen, you know, and a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. This was these two guys just beating the hell out of each other with a bunch of cars involved. Yeah, and and also the whole time you could tell that both was both of them have, like, very little regard for, like, what sort of injuries they might get. Like, when they're on the roof of the car, he's ready to just, like, pile drive them. Like, he doesn't care, like, who if someone falls off or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, it seems like both of, the, both of them were, like, really into making this look like a really good match. Um, this is maybe my favorite Dave Meltzer line ever. Okay. Uh, this is what he wrote in The Observer about this match. Finley appears to be nuts, and Regal appears to be sane, except when he's around Finley. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it's, it's exceedingly accurate. Right. Because Regal has, like, this pompous, like, asshole gimmick British thing going on, but when he gets in there with Finley, it just devolves into these brutal matches. Yeah. These, yeah, it's just weird. It's just a weird kind of personality of two guys that love stiffing each other. Like, it's yes. like the Acolytes were known for that, like, um, mm-hmm. when Public Enemy made their ill-fated sojourn into wwe and they didn't really make it because the acolytes started fucking with them and they just bitched about it yeah and then the dudley boys came in and the acolytes started fucking with him and they gave it right back to the acolytes and the acolytes were like yeah yeah like these I, it's just a weird person i'm not like that if uh, anyone causing me pain uh, i don't like them they're <laughs> causing me pain uh but there's just this type of person you know he's finley and he likes to fight dave yeah 
And that, that's one that's not, it's not just the stereotype. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> he can definitely back it up. <laughs> After another commercial, it is time for our main event of the evening, and the challenger is out alongside Jimmy Hart. Uh, the giant looks... They kind of they play this up during the match, and I it is it seemingly he got this direction. He's playing it very calm and cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's normally like you know a screaming, angry giant. Yeah. And this time they they're putting over that he's very mature. Like it's a one week thing. Like it just started, and they're like, "Ooh, look at how mature he is now." Yeah, right. Uh, but he yeah he's definitely doing something different than he has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Flair is out with Liz and Woman uh, once again. Deborah McMichael is at ringside, and once again Flair approaches her. She, once again, seems unimpressed. Mongo warns you, uh, Mongo warns that there's two things you don't do to a country boy, mess with his dog or his woman, (laughs) and he says it in that order. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Bischoff says that Flair can't help it, he's just a lunatic. (laughs) He can't help it that he wants to hit on your wife. (laughs) He's just a crazy guy. Randy Anderson shows the belt to the camera, which still says Macho Man on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brain and Bischoff claim that Flair has left it that way as an insult, but I think this is just laziness. <laughs> I think it was laziness of, that eventually evolved into, well, just make it part of the storyline since we have mentioned it. Sure, sure. Flair starts off golden. Flair starts the match by going for a shoulder block and a chop uh, and scurries from the ring when the giant no-sells both. Mongo says that the giant is strong and built, unlike those gangly basketball players you see, apparently forgetting that they're acting as a lead-in for the playoffs on (laughs) TNT tonight. (laughs) Whoops. Mongo says that the NFL should go after the giant, and Bobby proves why he is one of the best in the business by wondering why anyone would want to play with a team full of idiots when they could make a lot more money as an individual in WCW. Yeah. I mean, that's patently false that any of these guys are making more than an NFL star. Right. But they sh- the I mean, the idea of wrestling is that they are. Mm-hmm. So that was just perfect. I loved that line. It yep. was fantastic. Uh, Flair goes for another shoulder block but fails to move the big man. Giant effortlessly nails a press slam. An Irish whip into the corner sends Flair up and over to the outside. The Giant chases Flair a bit on the outside, but Flair hides behind his valets before they return to the ring. They tease a test of strength spot, but it was all a clever ruse by the champ who thumbs the giant in the eye. He follows up with chops and punches, which again get no sold. Giant misses a charge into the corner, and Flair looks to capitalize by going to the top rope. But Jimmy Hart has apparently put the giant on to Flair's versatile high-flying offense, and the big guy grabs Flair and tosses him down to the mat. (laughs) Also, um, was was that the point where the giant missed the elbow first? Into the cr- into the corner. Yes. Yeah, um, I said a charge, but yeah, you, yeah, you're probably right that it was an elbow. I I I just wanted to note when he did that, you could hear the ring creak. Ooh, I didn't notice that. That's <laughs> awesome though. And also, I think he might have like hit his funny bone or something like that because he was really kind of smarting on the elbow. But then then he realized like, oh wait, Flair's on the top rope. <laughs> you know what to do, Giant. <laughs> giant hits a big vertical suplex. He tries for a couple choke slams, but Flair grabs the l- ropes. Liz and woman hop onto the apron to distract Pee Wee Anderson. Flair uses the distraction to hit a low blow. With a giant on his knees, he goes to work with punches, but the giant manages to just, from his knees, shove Flair to the mat several times. (laughs) It's really cool looking. (laughs) Jimmy Hart then distracts the ref for some reason, which makes zero sense, because it's not like he's turning on the giant. Right. He's just doing a bad job managing for his clients. Right. 
Uh, Flair uses that distraction to go into his tights for a foreign object. Flair comes off the rope with a big loaded punch and hides the uh, foreign object again as the giant goes down. Flair struts before teasing the figure four, before changing his mind, coming off the ropes, and then locking on the figure four. (laughs) I love Flair coming off the ropes for things that do not require coming (laughs) off the ropes. Right. He also did the the thing where he strutted, like, all around. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, like you're expecting the giant to do something, but it's more like Flair just wants to strut a lot. He locks on the figure four, and the giant is selling being unconscious from the foreign object. Mm -hmm. So he's laying completely flat on his back, which is a pin. They always count the pin when someone's shoulders go down in the figure four. Mm -hmm. This time they just don't because that's not the spot, you know? So uh, Randy Anderson looks like an idiot because WCW referees always look like idiots. Which is unfortunate because at this point, if I was watching this for the first time, I would legitimately think that they're doing, like, the knockout pin that that's right. how he's going to retain. But, like you said, they weren't going for the count. They should have – that would have really sold the the whole, like, legitimacy of that at that point. Yeah, the giant suddenly springs to life and sits up, kind of Undertaker-like almost, mm-hmm. and locks on a chokehold. And you're right. It would have been so much cooler if he did that at a two count. Yeah. Why not count two and then have that right. baffling? He drags Flair to his feet and hits a choke slam, which seals the victory, and the giant is your new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. This is either his first or second reign, depending <laughs> on if you consider all the shenanigans that went on at Halloween Havoc uh, mm-hmm. that gave him the title to be a legitimate reign or not. He certainly didn't forget it. Uh, he did, and it's weird because I think if you look, I, I don't remember. I think if you look at the lineage mm-hmm. of the belt, it's he's not counted as an official title holder, but they have always referred to him as someone who won the world title in his first match. Mm-hmm. So it's like they want their, I don't know, it's kind of having their cake and eating it too on that one, I guess. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this is the third title change on Nitro. First, when the belt was vacated, following the giant winning it at Halloween Havoc. Mm-hmm. Second, when Randy Savage won the belt from Flair back on the January 22nd Nitro, and now this victory here. Uh, the Giant is the only rookie to ever hold the title, at this point in history anyway. Yep. Uh, either the WCW incarnation or the NWA World Heavyweight Champion that preceded it. And at 24, he is one of the youngest champions ever, along with fellow 24-year-olds Kerry Von Erich and Tommy Rich, though the youngest ever was Luthez, who was 21 when he won his first championship. This is the Giant's sixth month in the ring, and he is now uh, your WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Dave, what did you think of this match? Uh, well, I thought it was the Giants' best match yet. Um, I think that Ric Flair did a really great job making him look good. Um, you know, for someone that young, he was giving him, like, the Hulk Hogan treatment where he yeah. just let him, like, no-sell everything. And uh, if they would have done, like, the the, the count, I would have, like, I would have legitimately thought that that's how the match was going to end. Yeah. Um, and so it was, uh, as far as the title change being, like, a, not only a surprise title change, but a surprise when the finish suddenly happened. Um, yeah, I thought the match, I mean, considering who the contestants were, uh, I thought it played out really well. Yeah, you know, Hogan half-assedly tried to make the Giant back at Halloween Havoc. Right. Um, but the Giant only kind of won the match thanks to, like, a bunch of cheating, mm-hmm. a bunch of people turning on Hogan, the debut of the Yeti. Right. Um 
and just a bunch of bullshit. So he was not really like Flair goes out of his way to try to make the giant. Yeah. The only unfortunate thing is that this match is like four minutes long. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I get that the giant a he's green and b he's a giant, so he doesn't. It's not like he needs to be having twenty minute classics, right? But I just feel like for something as important as the title changing hands, especially mm-hmm. to someone who's a rookie and you're you're making history in a lot of ways, yep. it it should have been a longer match. But I agree, and maybe, like I said earlier with Ice Train and the Steiners, maybe if it had gone any longer, weaknesses would have been exposed a little bit more. Sure. Um, so maybe it was a good thing. I don't know. But uh, ultimately, decent match. I'm happy that the Giants the champion. It's, it's a new direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Hogan's gone. Um, we've got a brand new champion, someone that's going to give us some fresh matchups, and that's a good thing. It is a little confusing because the direction of, of WCW right now is Flair and Savage. Yeah. And Flair still got Savage's ex-wife as his valet, so that's still the big story. So it seems odd that the belt is just the belt is like exiting the story mm-hmm. and the story's going to continue yeah um but i guess you know i'm i'm excited to see where it ends up going yeah and like you said it's interesting because not only is the giant champion but hogan's not around right and so that presents with like a lot of interesting options uh eric bischoff presents the first title defense at the very end of the show yeah um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a fresh and a new direction to go in as far as the championships concerned, especially since Ric Flair for the last couple of months, he was champion, but they really didn't focus on him. Mm-hmm. And it seems like if the giants, the champion that maybe there'd be more of a focus on, on the title. Also, uh, you know, we've, we've, I feel like we've talked about this a lot since they reformed, but where were the horsemen? He, the horsemen <laughs> are technically still around. Benoit yeah. and Arn Anderson are mm-hmm. still horsemen, and there is a blank spot that they could fill with whoever they, you know, whoever they want to bestow that honor on. Sure, they're nowhere to be found yeah. to help their champion. The horsemen, this reformation of the horsemen, thanks to the, everything going on with Pillman and the fact that Benoit spends most of his time in Japan, mm-hmm. they're around, but they're not around. Yeah. They're not really a faction right now. Right. Anyway, uh, before we go to the announcers and they're closing the show, Mean Gene steps into the ring to interview our new champion, and let's go to an audio clip. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here on WCW Monday Nitro on TNT, I present a brand new WCW heavyweight champion of the world. He is the giant Jimmy Hart. This crowd, and I know millions around the world, have been looking for this minute. You know, Mean Gene, tonight Ric Flair gets to go home with a woman. Jimmy Hart gets to go home with a WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, the Giant, baby! Don't be too sure about that, Jimmy Hart. Giant, no question about it. After what happened last week here on Mike Nitro, this one had to come down. I didn't think it would end up this way, however. I knew in my own heart this belt's been mine since Halloween happened. I don't care if any of you like it or not. I am the World Heavyweight Champion. I am the champion, a fighting champion. Hulk Hogan, Sting, Macho Man, come one, come all at the hands of the giant. You doggone sure are gonna fall. Ah! All right, ladies and gentlemen, the history books have been rewritten tonight here on WCW Monday Nitro, and I'm certain he addressed the number of individuals. Hulk Hogan is at home watching this tonight. 
Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, Mongo, why don't you assess it for us if you would? So there's your new feisty champion. Uh, you know, they had portrayed this new calm, collected giant, but he definitely gives a very shouty yeah. promo right there, yelling right. about his uh, supremacy. Uh-huh. The announcers uh, do their usual babbling to end the show. Bischoff says that he just got word that Sting is going to be challenging the giant for that title at Slamboree. So we will have the lethal lottery uh, that will give someone a title shot, mm-hmm. and we will also see a championship match between Sting and the Giant. Brain tries to say something about Sting, uh, but he keeps accidentally calling him Luger, and he gets so tongue-tied and frustrated that he eventually just says, I don't know, and holds his head in his hands for the next, like, 30 <laughs> seconds. I've never seen that happen to him before. <laughs> I feel, like, bad for him. <laughs> Uh, what were your thoughts on Nitro overall this week? I thought this was a great Nitro. I thought it was entertaining from start to finish. Presented a lot of like really different things. Yeah. Um, like the the brawl, like the whatever they were calling it, the backlot brawl or whatever. Um, Fire and Ice versus the Steiner Brothers was really entertaining. Um, power, you get your power moves there. Yeah. You got the athleticism of Harlem Heat in your opening match. Mm-hmm. The one thing it was maybe missing was a cruiserweight style match, maybe in place of the opening tag team match. Sure. Um, but I agree. Uh, this was an entertaining show with a lot of variety. And in fact, I, for the first time in months, am going to nominate this episode for the coveted 20 Years of Nitro Hall of Fame, a gimmick that has disappeared for so long our listeners have probably forgot about it. Right. Um but this has frankly been the the first deserving episode in months. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- now to remind everyone, this does have to be a unanimous decision. Dave, will you join me in inducting this episode? <laughs> I actually had planned on nominating it myself. Nice. Um, like I said, but it, now I'm voting no. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> right. Like I said, it had like so many different interesting things. Um, I think. The reason why I thought it would be a Hall of Fame is that I I just I I didn't find myself bored by any segment. Yes. Um, and I felt and I feel like this is a show that I would watch all the way through and not just pick out a match or two. Um, so I agree. I totally agree. This is a absolutely a Hall of Fame. I I I'm putting my vote. Yes. So I know we have some uh fans listeners of the show who watch most of the episodes, if not every episode. Uh, there's a guy who usually tweets me just about once a week and kind of talks about the episode, uh, Drucifer, at Drucifer. I like to okay. give him a shout-out because he's, he's a loyal listener. Nice. Um, but if you're somebody who listens to the show and only occasionally watches, or you have the network and you've you've never watched, give this one a, a try. I think you'd like it. Yeah. Uh, and especially if you're someone who, who does not have a lot of uh, direct first-person experience with WCW. This might mm-hmm. give you an idea if you go up and you compare this to a Raw at the time. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, mm-hmm. um, but it's very different, and that's good. Yes. It's, it's, it's awesome right now in 2016 that I can choose between Raw and Lucha Underground. Uh, which one is better? I certainly have my opinions, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a subjective thing, and I love that there's such different options out there. Yeah. And, uh, and it's fantastic that back then... People had these two major companies to choose from. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Raw, in our Raw recap, Mankind defeats uh, Bart Gunn. Steve Austin defeated Scott Taylor. The New Rockers defeated the Godwins. Oh, no, excuse me. The New Rockers and the Godwins went to a double countout. Oh. Oh, man, I almost... Ooh, you, oh, we would have gotten so many angry emails, Dave. So many. 
Uh, the Ultimate Warrior defeated Isaac Yankum. Wow. In the ratings, uh, and keep in mind that these shows were not directly head-to-head. Uh, Nitro aired an hour earlier than its normal time. Right. Um, so they weren't airing head-to-head, and that, of course, airing out of your normal time slot always hurts a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Raw drew a 3.9, which is its second highest rating ever. Okay. And Nitro got a 2.1. Ooh. Uh, like I said, it's expected that it's going to go down, but that's, I think, probably pretty anemic, especially mm-hmm. because um, they sort of let the word get out that there was a title change to try to get people to watch you yeah. know, in a different time slot. So yeah. I, I imagine the time slot thing was a big deal, especially since I, I don't feel like that they properly warned their uh, viewers of that right. last week. So that's understandable. All right. Well, we have a lot of news from around the wrestling world. Um, just a lot of like random little notes. On April 20th, uh, 1996, was the infamous ECW angle where Tommy Dreamer learned that Beulah McGillicuddy had been cheating on him uh, as well as faking her pregnancy. And it was revealed that she was cheating on him with Kimona Wanalea. Whoa. Uh, no! <laughs> when this was revealed, the two women kissed and Dreamer infamously... Uh, responds by joining them in a very gross three-way kiss. <laughs> E-C-dub, E-C-dub. Uh, Meltzer believes that that is the first uh, lesbian angle in, in wrestling. Oh, okay. Okay. Some history made, I guess. <laughs> Razor, Ramon, and Diesel had their WWF pay-per-view farewells in losing efforts to Vader and Shawn Michaels at the uh, In Your House. I believe it's Good Friends, Better Enemies yeah. is the name of that one. Uh, that would have been the night before this. Um, okay. So yesterday, in uh, April 28th. Neither guy was buried, uh, either in the ring or on commentary. Um, Vader actually let Razor get in a lot of offense, which even if Razor had been sticking around, that's still kind of, you yeah. know, given that it's Vader. So Right. And Vince also takes the high road and does not spend any time on commentary saying anything even remotely, like, underhanded or negative about him. Um and one imagines that in the same circumstances, Bischoff would not have been as professional. Right. So, you know, it looks like maybe maybe Vince has got it that he, maybe taking the high road should be the way that he's going to approach this from now on. Right. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, s- <laughs> we'll see indeed. Also, at that pay-per-view, Warrior took on Goldust for the Intercontinental title, as was teased on our uh, Raw episode that we covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goldust was injured how- before the match, and it was barely a match because of it. It ends in a count-out victory for the Warrior. Dave Meltzer rated it negative four and a half stars and says that it was a contender for the worst match of the decade. Wow. <laughs> Brian Pillman had plastic surgery on his face on April 25th and was released from the hospital the next day. He had four steel plates put in his face. Uh, he has one more operation to go to remove the steel rod that was put in his ankle. Uh, in the initial fusion. So he's he's getting there, but he's still got some ways to go. Yeah. Uh, apparently, WCW has been buying the wrong kind of tables. As uh, you may remember, last week, uh, Scotty Riggs was put through a table by Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. I believe in the uh, Enemy Sandwich, or whatever they're calling that. <laughs> right. Uh, Rig- sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Riggs was hurt by that and needed two dozen stitches. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, they need to get some... I don't know, something that breaks into softer pieces, I guess. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, in the traditional post-WrestleMania European tour uh, that happened this year, 
1996, this year being, yeah. uh, you know, through our Wayback Machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the one that Sonny left early because Sean Waltman took a shit in her and Chris Candido's food. <laughs> <laughs> There's always, it, it, it's something about the European tour just makes them, makes wrestlers all wacky. Oh, man. It's, Those, all, it's always shitting in somebody's stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm not the most mature person in the world, and yeah. I'm petty and vindictive, and I don't like people. <laughs> I would never ever shit in anyone's anything that's right. ridiculous uh unlike mark henry though they didn't uh allegedly eat the food uh mark henry <laughs> do you believe that one uh, wrestling do you, or the wrestling urban legend that uh x-pac like shit in his like meatball sub and he ate at least some of it no i don't either no. I, I choose not to i don't right. <laughs> i choose not to and also if it's coming from sean waltman it's like uh if he all right. Well, that is all of the wrestling news. Uh, oh, but you know what I forgot? Who was your MVP of this particular Nitro? Uh, my Nitro MVP, I am going to do a, a, a co-MVP, and I'm going to give that to the Giant and Ric Flair. Um, I felt like that the Giant, lo- he looked very good in winning the title. Like you said, they kind of given him a different demeanor of like confidence, uh, and I think that worked very well for him. And also for Ric Flair, for for a guy, for facing a guy that's so inexperienced, he really let himself um, look like the inferior wrestler. Uh, he made the Giant look really, really good. I felt like this this title change went over really well, so I was giving my MVP to both of them. In a vacuum, I would choose Ric Flair, but since you've you've got the market covered on on Flair, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with Booker T uh, for looking okay. like an absolute future star. Um, one of those guys who's in a tag team, you know, he's in the upper, he's continually having tag team title matches, so he's in the upper part of the tag team card, mm-hmm. um, but he just looks incredible, and, uh, you know, I obviously here 20 years later, I know that he goes on to a lot of great singles things, but I don't know in WCW terms when he starts kind of branching off on his own. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that it's not for quite some time, but I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to offer. Okay. Uh, what was your segment of the night? Uh, my segment of the night is going to be a match, and that match is Fire and Ice versus the Steiner Brothers. Nice. It was it was short and sweet, and it gave me seeing this matchup on paper. I'm I want to see them outpower each other. Yeah. And I was not disappointed. <laughs> um, and and like you said, it was short enough where they didn't have to maybe stretch out and and not do power moves. So mm-hmm. I I think it gave us exactly what we wanted. And also, like you said, it it made Fire and Ice interesting and you want to see more of them and when you do that i feel like that's a really good match <laughs> absolutely uh i'm gonna give my segment of the night to the blood runs cold promo no just kidding <laughs> i'm gonna give my segment of the night to the parking lot brawl uh obviously there were some issues with selling but like i said completely different from anything i've seen on uh, wcw to this point and very different from anything i remember in wwf to that point in mm-hmm. history uh, so kudos to those guys for going nuts and giving me something unlike anything that I've seen before. And I would have loved to see if that had been stretched out to 10 minutes. Maybe they could have sold a little bit more and it would have had a little more psychology. Mm-hmm. But not everything needs to, you know, this was, as we mentioned, this was a variety show. Yeah. And this was not the match that spotlighted ring psychology. And that's fine. Right. Uh, there's there's no problem with that. So I loved it. I loved this whole episode. Please go and watch it. Uh, anything more that you want to say? No, I just when you're talking about that the that parking lot brawl, 
uh, one of the reasons why I thought that this was a, a Hall of Fame episode was that there was a few matches that I could have easily gone with. Yes, uh, that's I, a rarity sometimes. Yeah, uh, like Fire and Ice for the Steiner Brothers, I enjoyed for for what it is. Parking lot brawl, they I think they they delivered more than I would have expected. Uh, the tag team title match at the very beginning was also really good, mm-hmm. and and Giant versus Ric Flair, considering that sort of matchup was, I mean it was short, but it also delivered the story that it was supposed to deliver. So all around, I I felt like this was a really good show, and I can't wait to see how they follow it up. Well, we will find out together right here next week where the big boys play 20 Years of Nitro. Well, Luger, uh, 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 St- uh, St- not Luger, but St- no, Sting is, uh, I don't know. Well. Sting.